Please remain standing and pray with me. Holy Spirit, come now and fill my heart with your presence so that I can speak this word. Lord, I pray that the, the mysteries of the good news about Jesus Christ, Lord, would, would be planted deep in our hearts this morning. I don't, I don't have the power to, to, to convey these, these deep things of God, but your Spirit can take your Holy Word and apply it to our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray, and open our hearts to receive the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Brothers and sisters, this morning we're going to try to do that. Get ready. We're going to look into the deep things of God. If you're, if you're the kind of person that says, Oh, I wish we could finally get to the meat of the Scriptures. I'm tired of all this pablum. I'm tired of all the, the milk. Let's go deep. Well, you're about to go deep. I hope you brought your swimmies with you because we're going out to the deep end. This morning, God willing, we're going to love God with our minds. A couple of weeks ago, we introduced the preaching theme for this summer. What is, and it is, what is the Christian understanding of what it means to be a human being? What is the Christian understanding of what it means to be a human being? And we saw that while that topic doesn't sound very thrilling, uh, it, all of our major issues that are roiling our society today are rooted in how we understand our humanity, our humanness. Everything from gender questions to human sexuality to marriage and family, abortion, euthanasia, all of those things are rooted in our presuppositions. How we think about those things are all rooted in our presuppositions about human personhood. The basic building block for a Christian understanding of being a human person was read to us this morning in the Scriptures in Genesis chapter 1. And I'll read it again for you. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, that word man is anthropos. In other words, not a male person, a human. Let us make the human in our image after our likeness. So God created Anthropos, the human, man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That is the basic building block of how we are going to go about the project this summer of understanding all of those issues surrounding what it means to be a human person. And we need to let that verse sink in deep into our hearts because by being made in, the, when it says, let us make a man in our image, in our own image, and God made man in his image and his likeness, what that means is you can't talk about who, what a human is without talking about who God is. That God, talking about God and talking about humans are, in, are inseparable topics. They are combined right there in that passage. But it does beg the question, exactly how are you and I created in the, in the image of God? What does it mean? What does that mean? I'm in the image of God. What is the image of God? Is it the rational faculty, the ability to think? If it is, does that mean we stop being in the image of God when we go to sleep at night? I'm not thinking about it a lot. 
fact, I can go, I can do it in the daytime. <laughs> you know, I'll be driving along in the car. Lisa will be right beside me. I'll be doing what I do, not saying anything. She'll say, she'll say, what are you thinking about? And I can honestly say, nothing. <laughs> nothing. I'm just driving this car. I mean, that's all I'm doing, breathing. That's about it. So does it mean uh, that our, is our image bearing quality in the fact that you and I are created for relationship? That we are created for community? Well, the New Testament grants us, listen, a surprising insight into what it means to be created in the image of God. And this New Testament insight is essential to us for us to understand what it means to be a human being. And I'm going to say some stuff this morning that you're probably going to need to go back and listen to it again when it, uh, the sermon comes out online early this week because there, there are some really dense, deep things in this conversation. So where else, where else do we hear this talk about the image of God showing up in Scripture? Where do we hear about the image of God showing up in Holy Scripture in the Bible? Well, we hear it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, speaking of those whose eyes are blinded to the gospel, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And then Paul adds this phrase. Listen, who is the image of God. The glory of Christ, the glory of the gospel, the, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then in the passage from uh, the book of Colossians that we read this morning, we hear this passage. He is the image, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. So in the New Testament, this language about the image of God shows up when the writers speak about Jesus. Okay, now this is, you're going to have to follow this argument. Here's the connection that the early church made. Jesus is the icon, he is the image of the invisible God. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Hebrews 1, 3, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So remember, what are you and I made in? We're made in the image of God. So this means, listen, I know we're having to follow a, kind of a, a logical stream of an argument here. It means Jesus is the template he is the archetype of what it means to be truly human. Jesus is the model. He's the template. He's the archetype of what it means to be truly human. Here is the main point. True humanity, if you want to know what a human being is, you've got to look at Jesus. True humanity is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. In Christ's humanity, we see God revealed. In Christ's divinity, we see something of our humanity revealed. Jesus fully reveals who God is, and Jesus fully reveals who humanity is. This has implications that we're going to unfold in the weeks ahead. 
So when in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example here in a minute. I hope that this will kind of solidify these abstract ideas. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says that Adam is a type of Christ. When he says that, he means that Adam is a shadow or a partial reality of the real thing. The real human, the archetypal human, is Jesus. All right, mind-blowing time. Here it comes. Please, please follow me. I feel like Ravi Zacharias. You know, he's like, now follow me. I'd like to be as smart as Ravi Zacharias. I love his accent, too. So, but listen... When God made Adam, there, here's, your, here's your mind-blowing part, Jesus was the model. What? Yeah, it's all timey-wimey, wimbly-wombly. When God made Adam, Jesus was the model. Let me give you an illustration. If you make a master recording... You do that so that all the other recordings are, are taken from that master. Back in the days when we had vinyl records, there was in the early days there was a master vinyl recording that was cut. And from that master recording, they made all the other recordings. Or another way of saying it is like um, there is a standard book of common prayer by which all other books of common prayer are judged to be genuine. There's a standard that, that the prayer book has to be modeled on. And so it, we read this at the certain the front of a prayer book, and I know you have one at home, you read it every day, um, it says, this is the certificate, I certify that this edition of the Book of Common Prayer has been compared with a certified copy of the standard book as the canon directs, and that it conforms thereto Charles Mortimer Gilbert, who was the custodian of the standard book of common prayer. Jesus is the standard by which we are measured. He is the humanity. When God made Adam, he had Jesus in mind as the model. That's big stuff. But when Adam turned away from God, he removed himself and all of us as his descendants from that model, from God's intention for what it means to be a human being. When we accept Jesus Christ, when we are baptized and born again, that means that we begin the process of being made like Christ. That's what God is doing. You're baptized, born again, follower of Jesus. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, you, you, it is not God's project in your life is not over. It's just beginning. He is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what He's doing. And so He is, he is restoring us to the fullness of what it means, please listen, uh, to be a real human person. Now let me tell you what, what you're hearing this morning is going to be the most important thing that you're going to take with you throughout the rest of this summer. I guarantee you, every other conversation that is rolling across the news screen links directly back to this. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Here's God's desire for each of us. And we know that for those whom God loves, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, here it is, ready? To be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, he also 
glorified. You are being conformed to the image of Christ. God's great project in your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to make you like Jesus. He does this by the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. We we have a word for when you try to make yourself like Jesus on your own. The word is technical. You need to write this one down. Failure. Failure. That's what that is. It is frustrating and failure. God's project through the Holy Spirit, as we attend upon the means of grace. What is that? Prayer, Bible study, your life group is a means of grace. Christian fellowship, public worship, holy communion. These are all the means that the Spirit of God, these are the sure and certain means whereby God's project to make you a little Jesus is going on in your life. And so no matter how, and the wonderful thing about it is this, is this. Like, I don't care how I feel about it on Sunday morning when I take Holy Communion. If I have the, uh, if I have the warm fuzzies, that's great. If I, have, if I feel like the Holy Spirit has just opened the heavens up when I receive Holy Communion, that's great. When I, if, I feel like, uh, if, if I feel like I have com- come into contact with the live wire of the living God, that's wonderful. But most of the time, it just tastes like a weird little styrofoam piece of bread. Now, here's here's what I want you to know. Is that if you come with faith and repentance to the Lord's table, I don't care how you feel about it today. God is using that as an ordinary means of grace in your life to do the project of conforming you to be like Jesus. Isn't it great? Isn't it great that you don't have to whoop up some feelings for this to work? I used, to think, I used to come to the Lord's table thinking, Ooh, I've got to remember how sad it was Jesus died for us. I've got to feel really bad about His crucifixion. Now I've got to make, I'm going to have to do something in coming to the Lord's table for this means of grace to work. No, it's not like that. It's like you don't have to think hard and have feelings about vitamins for your food in your daily life to work. This morning... I had a premium protein shake for breakfast. I know. I'm sorry. I know. It was not exciting. I had no feelings. I have had meals where I cried for sheer joy of it. I had a steak one time. I cried in a steakhouse one time. I know. That's believable. I know. But I had no feelings whatsoever about my premium protein shake, but it still is working in my body. When we come trusting in God at this means of grace, or when we come into our prayer time, listen to me, and we're having our prayer time, and it's dry, but you're praying, and you're coming to God out of faith, or you're reading your Bible, and you're going through a dry dry spell in your Christian life, those means of grace are still at work in you. And God is conforming you to the image of Christ. Isn't that good news? It's not a, this is gospel. This is reformation teaching, y'all. You don't have to do it. God is doing it to you by His Spirit. And He invites us to participate in that through the means of grace. That's great news. Thanks be to God. Because I just get tired thinking about if I had to do all this on my own. The amazing thing is that in being conformed to Christ, our, our lives as Christians are about becoming more fully 
human, not less human. God isn't making you an angel. God is making you into a real, live human being. He is making you real. Go read the Gospel of the Velveteen Rabbit. You'll understand. (laughs) This idea that Jesus is the pioneer of a renewed humanity comes directly from the Bible. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. In other words, the complete Adam. The fulfilled Adam. But I think that perhaps it comes most clearly in the Gospel of John, this idea that Jesus is the pioneer of a renewed humanity. In John's Gospel, he is constantly dropping hints about God beginning a new creation. And for John, in that new creation, Jesus is the new Adam. For instance, John is the only Gospel writer to mention that the tomb of Jesus, that Jesus was laid in was where? Where was it? In a garden. That's right. Who mentions that? Only John. Where does the story of humanity begin? In the garden. That's right. And when Mary Magdalene encounters Jesus Christ on the morning of the resurrection, who does she think He is? The gardener. Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe there's some connections we're supposed to pick up here. And she's exactly right. Just as Adam was the gardener of the first creation, Jesus is the gardener of the new creation. But John gets downright heavy-handed with his depiction of Jesus as the model human in the passage we heard this morning in John chapter 19, which seems to be odd to be reading about the trial of Jesus before Pilate. But in John chapter 19, verse 5, Pilate brings out, the bloody, humiliated, scourged Jesus to present him to the crowd right before the call for his crucifixion. And what does Pilate say when he brings out Jesus? Behold the man. But again, it's not, he doesn't use the Greek word for man. He uses the Greek word for human. Behold the anthropos. Pilate says, behold the human being. This is cool stuff. In other words, this is what the true man... Pilate, like so many other people in John's Gospel do, he says more than he knows at that point. Pilate says more than he knows at that point. And John wants us to get this point. Right here, right here, behold, this is humanity. If you want to see what it means to be truly human, look at Jesus in that moment. Why has he been beaten and stripped and humiliated and crowned with thorns? Because he came to bring us back into right relationship with God. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave. God loved his human creature so much. Listen, that he fully took on our humanity so much so that, that the immortal God the immortal, eternal God in Christ so voluntarily unites Himself with our humanity, He unites Himself with the most universal of human experiences, birth and death. Birth and death. And His great love for us is seen in this look. 
in this moment of self-sacrifice. When that love, when that kind of love of God encounters the brokenness of this world, when, we, when Pilate says, behold the man, he's saying, this is the love. He doesn't know it, but he's saying, this is the love of God colliding with the brokenness of this world, which results in the rejection of God's human creation. But by embracing that cross of rejection, God's redeeming power is unleashed on the world. It's like this in the summertime, every now and then, uh, the cities would used to go and open up a fire hydrant. Remember that? Because it got so hot downtown, or kids in the neighborhood wanted some place to play, the city would come and open a fire hydrant, and that water would just come gushing out. And that's how God's redeeming power is unleashed on the world. So when Jesus is before Pilate as the archetype of humanity... God shows us that to be truly human, you want to be a real person? You want to be a real human being? You want to be the person that God is making you to be? It means to embody God's self-giving, self-sacrificing love. Every time we do that, we enter more fully into what it means to be a true human being. Now, all of that sounds very theological. And it's true. It is. It's very theological. It's very true. But here's the application. Are you ready? Remember that the secular story, the secular understanding of humanity is unavoidably atheistic. There is no ultimate purpose in an atheistic story for your life. People say, well, you know, we have to all create our own meaning. Really? That you're just telling me that there isn't any meaning. So there's no ultimate purpose for your life in the secular story. As T.S. Eliot poetically observed about the secular story's lack of transcendence, he said, birth and copulation and death, that's all, that's all, that's all, birth, copulation, and death. That's the secular story. Tim Keller, though, references another writer, John Updike, when he says Christianity denies, Christianity is against the modern secular belief that we are insignificant accidents within a vast uncaused churning. That we are insignificant accidents within a vast uncaused churning. Rather, it declares that our life is a story and that the universe has a personal structure. Here is the good news. God's has an ama- God has an amazing purpose for your life, a mind-blowing purpose for your life. You, Christian, you need to know this, what you're about to hear. This is deep in God's Word. God's great project is to make you a real person, to make you like Jesus. This is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. You need to know that what God has in store for you, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. The heart of man, the heart of the human being has never imagined it. It's so wonderful. Remember that Jesus is God. Okay, here it is. Remember that Jesus is God who has taken on human flesh. God made flesh. And Jesus... Perfect humanity and perfect deity are what? They're together, right? Now, because we haven't gotten theological enough today, because I haven't given you enough big ideas, let me just read to you from the the definition of the Council of Chalcedon. That'll that'll make everything clear. I'm going to paraphrase it to you. 
the Lord Jesus Christ is the self-same perfect in God. He is self-same perfect in His Godness, His Godhead, but He's also perfect in His manhood, His humanity. He is truly God and truly human, truly a rational soul and body, coexisting with the Father according to His Godhead, and a real human being coexisting with us according to His manhood. If Jesus Christ is the archetype, the perfect representative of what a human being is, then all that... Okay. All that Christ is, is God's ultimate purpose for you. Let me repeat that. All that Jesus is, is God's ultimate purpose for you. Jesus retains his body, his self-identity, the humanity that he took upon himself at the incarnation. And at his ascension, back to the Father's right hand, he joined all those attributes to the uncreated, eternal glory of the Holy Trinity. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, shows us that we are destined, we are destined to be brought into the very life and love of the Holy Trinity. God, God is making you and I by grace what He is by nature. Please, folks, that is the most amazing thing you're going to hear today. Probably all week. God is making you by grace who He is, what He is, in His essence, by His nature. We call that theosis. Say theosis. 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 That is God's purpose for you. C.S. Lewis, he always says it so much better than I could ever say it. He says this in Mere Christianity, The real Son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as Himself. He is beginning, he is turning you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought, his Zoe, Zoe is Greek for life, his life into you. Finally, if all goes well, turning you permanently into a different sort of thing, into a new little Christ. A being which, in its own small way, has the same kind of life as God, which shares in His power, joy, knowledge, and eternity. That's, did you know that? Did you know that the Bible teaches that? Did you know that's what God has in store for you? Did you think, hey, did you have such a paltry understanding of God's ultimate trajectory for your existence that, oh, I can't wait till I die and go to heaven and can play golf every day? If you thought that, bless your heart. Bless your heart. I mean, if, you, if, you, if your idea of, of heaven is just a retirement where you're not quite as sick as much, that's just pitiful. God is bringing heaven and earth together. You're going to have a bodily existence in the joyful union of the Holy Trinity. In God, can you imagine it? No, you can't. I can't. None of us, no matter, I don't care if you grew up in the 70s or not, you didn't have a trip where that came into your mind. That has never dawned on you. Oh, the old hippies are laughing. Jesus, the true human being, reveals this. God's purpose is for our lives to be united to the life of God in unending, 
bodily love and joy and pleasure and happiness as we give ourselves away to one another in the unity of the Trinity with the Godhead, with all of the saints in glory, giving ourselves away to God and one another for eternity in love. It's just amazing. Um, I think the only thing, you know, and we're, this is going to come up in the weeks ahead, but the ecstasy, and I know I'm going to make some of y'all uncomfortable, you're just going to have to learn to deal with it because we're going to, we're going to be talking about humanity this summer. Uh, the, the ecstasy, the out of myselfness and joy and pleasure that God has in store for us is, is prefigured A little sliver of that, a tiny glimpse, a type, is in the marital union between a man and a wife. I heard the story recently of, uh, this was actually um, the the mother of a young man, the the mother-in-law of a young man. The father-in-law had died years ahead. The young man just gets married to his bride, and they're telling stories of her dad. And um, the mother-in-law says, I remember... At Sunday, the Sunday service, the, the day after we came back, for, or the day actually after our, our night of our honeymoon, we went to church that next day for uh, church, for communion, and we were receiving Holy Communion. And my husband received the bread and drank from the cup and went back to his pew, and he began to sob, just heaving sobs. And she turned to him and she said, what's wrong? And he said, I finally think I understand a little bit because of you what Jesus meant when he said, this is my body given for you. I give you my body. That that moment of ecstasy is a prefiguring for what all of us are going to have in its fullness in glory with Him. All of this is to God's great glory. All of it is to God's great glory. St. Irenaeus said that, or Irenaeus, the glory of God is the glory of God is the living human being. The glory of God is the person who is fully human. The Creator is glorified by the exaltation of his creature. And glory be to God, it turns out that our creator is a humanist. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.